I'm going to take you back in time. Back to February 11th, where I released the last episode of uh, this podcast, Dark Passenger. If you haven't listened to it, I suggest you hit pause and go back and listen to that. It's the story of my friend who left late one night from work and had a really strange encounter with something he didn't really know what it was. But it was about an hour after I published that that I was contacted by my friend Josh who said, hey, I've got a story that I want to share with you. Um, I listened to the, the episode and I've got a story that kind of falls in line with with this episode. I haven't told many people about it, but I think you might want to read it. It's up to you if you want to share it on the podcast or just want to keep it between us. I'm fine with either. So I said, sure, yeah, send it to me. I'll, uh, I'd love to read it and love to share it. So about 45 minutes later, I get an email from my buddy Josh. And I saw it pop up in my inbox, clicked on it, started scrolling, and kept scrolling, and kept scrolling. It's a really long story, and I loved it. But like I said, I received it back on the 11th of February, and I've sat on it. I reread the story for the first time today since that date for one reason. It scared me. It left me with an uneasy feeling, and even talking about it right now, I can feel this like cold feeling like creep over me. Got the goosebumps, hair standing up on my arms. It's a pretty crazy story. So Josh, thanks for sharing it. Um, I wasn't sure I wanted to share it, to tell you the honest truth, but I think it's definitely worth sharing. So sit back, turn off the lights, or turn them on, grab a beverage, and get ready for this, because this is a story that, like I said, haunted me. And it still has a really strange effect on me, even talking about it. In 2008, I was living in a small town in one of the most northern states in the country. As I was a missionary for my church and had been on my mission for about eight months when the following events happened. But a little bit of background on how I ended up here. Before these events, I was sharing our message about hope, about God and Jesus Christ. And many of the people were really receptive to what we were talking about. 
The people in the area were great, friendly, and I was enjoying many aspects of missionary life, which, to be honest, is quite a strange existence. Your days consist of studying scriptures, doing service projects, talking with others about God and the gospel, and our message of faith and hope. To be honest, it can be quite unnerving to get used to, but I was finally getting into a good groove. About six months into my mission, I got a call from the leader of our mission, my mission president, telling me that I was being sent to a different area. One of the missionaries there had broken his leg playing basketball and was being sent home to recover. As a missionary, you are assigned a companion, another missionary, to be there with you, mostly for reasons of safety. The missionary who had broken his leg had been a missionary for quite a while, probably a year and a half. Typically, these missions last two years. And his mission companion, the one I was being assigned to, had only been on his mission for a few weeks, so he was brand new. But I optimistically looked forward at the chance to serve in a new area with his new companion. The two-hour drive to the new area with my new companion quickly turned from hope and happiness into something else. The missionaries who had previously been there didn't have the best relationships with church church members. And normally, out of kindness, members of the church would invite missionaries over for dinner. In this area, however, the members were so thoroughly unimpressed with the efforts of the missionaries that only one family had been inviting them to an occasional dinner. Sadly, one night, my new companion had made a rude remark at the previous week's dinner, and we were no longer welcome in their home. So things were looking terrible. The success and thriving mission life I had experienced in my previous areas did a complete 180. My companion and I didn't get along at all. Any suggestion I ever made was met with sarcasm and refusal. Then one morning, my mission leader called and said, you know, this area is one of the most difficult areas in our entire mission. People just don't like us there. This will really test your mettle. To make things worse, it was late October and the weather was getting really cold. As winter progressed, I was assigned a new companion, a very kind and excited new missionary from one of the southern states, Georgia, I think. He and I became great friends, but the work was hard. I remember counting the layers of clothing I wore each day. I think at my best, I got to eight layers Because the iPhone was a new piece of technology at the time and church missionaries weren't up on the latest tech, we had an old flip phone. We would call in each morning to a 1-800 number that gave us the local weather report each day to see what horrendous conditions awaited us. Most days, that January and February, did not rise above zero degrees Fahrenheit, with normal temperatures being anywhere from minus 5 to minus 15 degrees. Yeah, It was cold. 
Because the people in the area generally, generally didn't like missionaries, this meant for very long, very cold, and very hard days. We would try to find service projects to do for people, but most days consisted of knocking on doors or talking to an occasional person in the street who was rushing to get out of the cold weather. Because my companion was brand new, I was responsible for training him to be a good missionary, teach him the ins and outs of what being a missionary was like, and help him adjust to the rigors and monotony of mission life. The poor guy had been assigned to the quote-unquote hardest area of the mission in one of the coldest winters on record. I did my best to keep a positive attitude, and we actually had a great time most days, no matter how difficult and terrible the conditions got. The reason I bring up all this detail is because when we finally did get someone who was receptive to wanting to talk about God or discuss matters of religion, we were elated and enthusiastic, finally able to share our message of hope and faith. There was a husband and wife shoveling snow one day as we were walking up the street. Their two young children, a boy and a girl, were playing in the yard. We offered to help them shovel the snow and they accepted our help. We talked to them and they were very kind. They were members of a different church and although they were devout members there, they still invited us in to share our message. They were very kind and warm people and invited us back to share more the following week. When we arrived, they had a stack of papers. They were again very warm in their greetings but quickly started asking us a wide variety of questions all about our beliefs when we were starting the discussion. Many missionaries would quickly end lessons that started to get contentious, but having been extremely studious in my scripture study, and partly due to the fact that I was training a new missionary, I engaged in trying to answer the best I could with many of my answers backed up by verses in the Bible, a book that this couple firmly believed in. The moment I answered one question, whether they were satisfied with the answer or not, they would fire off another one, trying to prove us wrong in our beliefs and convince us that our religion was wrong and theirs was right. We were respectful in our answers and did our best to appease them but the efforts of two 19-year-old boys, no matter how strong our faith was, did little to convince them otherwise. After about a half an hour of fruitless discussion, we decided that it might be best to end. We left with a prayer, and again, they were very kind and wished us all the best. We thought that that was the end of it, but a few weeks later, we got a call from them asking us if we'd like to join them for dinner. Neither my companion nor I felt great about the idea after such a brutal experience from the last visit, but they were very nice in their invitation, and we had so little going on that we thought, why not? We can always steer the conversation back 
to how their kids are doing in school, talk about other things in our lives before we became missionaries, or any other topic if things got heated. Even if they did bring up some religious topics, this would be a good training for this new missionary. For him to learn how to navigate the conversation and provide credible answers from the scriptures to some of the tough gospel questions that people might ask him later on his mission. Dinner was extremely pleasant and the meal was delicious. I don't recall talking about religion during the meal at all, aside from them asking us how we'd been doing the past few weeks and what our daily activities were like as missionaries. Nothing contentious, nothing negative, and nothing heated. After the dinner, they said, why don't we go sit down in the living room? We have a few more questions for you. Again, another stack of papers came out. I politely said something like, we are so grateful for such a kind gesture you've shown us tonight in inviting us over for dinner. After the last time, it seems like you might not be interested in our religion, which we completely understand and respect. We will do our best to answer your questions, but we may not have satisfactory answers to every one of them. Rather than let things get contentious, we can just talk about some things we all have in common and our mutual love of God and the hope that he provides all of his children. After two or three questions with answers they clearly weren't interested in, they decided to let us go, which we were honestly relieved about. Before we left, they asked, can we say a prayer before you go? We love your prayers. You've said at the end of our previous visits, and if it's okay, we'd like to offer a prayer for you as well. We were touched that they wanted to pray for us, and we gladly welcomed the invitation. In their church, it was customary to kneel and hold hands as prayers were offered. So we all knelt down in a circle. She asked my companion to say the prayer for them first. He offered a short and sincere prayer. There was a great feeling in the room. Everyone had gotten along to that point. We had a great meal, and the short discussion about religion had ended amicably. The wife smiled and said something like, Okay, I'd like to say a prayer for you before you go. And I'm going to pray in tongues. Is everybody ready? Now, I had heard about people praying in tongues before, and the stories varied widely. Most of the stories I had heard about such instances left the storyteller laughing, saying the person just ended up speaking gibberish and that the whole experience was humorous and bewildering. But I braced myself. I thought in my mind, all right, they just fed us a wonderful meal. They are fellow believers in God. They have been very kind to us. Don't you dare laugh. I closed my eyes and I held hands with her on my right side. My companion was on my left side. He was holding hands with the daughter, who was holding hands with her brother, who was holding hands with her dad, who was holding hands with his wife. She started her prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, there was warmth in the room. Even though my eyes were closed, I could still perceive the light of all the lamps they had in the room through my eyelids. It was a cold winter night, 
where it started to get dark around 4.30. It was well past that time, so it was pitch black outside. But the room was light, and the house was comfortable. She continued her prayer in English for a while, asking God to watch over us and protect us and help us spread our message to the people who needed it. I thought, okay, maybe this isn't going to be weird. Maybe she isn't going to pray in tongues after all. But still, I braced myself for the possibility. Suddenly, she paused. What happened next still gives me a terrible feeling of fear and vulnerability. What came out of her mouth next was not gibberish. It was not humorous, and it was completely unexpected. What was being spoken was a dark language, one that I've never heard before. But I could tell that it was real, a sophisticated, very real language. It was not improvised, nor rehearsed. It seemed to be an ancient, Latin-like language. To the best of my recollection, it was full of V's and S's. Like I said, it was a language, but it felt full of malice, hatred, and disgust. But it wasn't the language or the words I was focusing on. Because at the very moment she started praying in tongues, one of the most vividly terrible experiences of my life started to unfold. As soon as she started speaking this language, behind my closed eyes, I saw an image of a giant thick needle, like an eight-inch syringe, pointed right at my chest. My head was bowed for prayer, and even with my eyes closed, I could see this needle right in front of me. As she spoke, the needle pierced my chest and was slowly being pushed into me. Once it was about halfway in my chest, smoke started to pour out of it. I remember I started to feel an oppressive heaviness in my chest, and I started to struggle to breathe. I sat there frozen, unable to move. Everything was dark and cloudy. The lights from the lamps that I had previously perceived through my eyelids was gone, and the image of this needle with smoke pouring out of the end of it, filling my lungs with what felt like tar was all I could see. All I could think of was to keep breathing and hoping that this prayer would end soon. After what seemed like an eternity, but in which was really probably only 20 to 30 seconds, she stopped speaking in this language and switched to English to quickly close the prayer. Relieved, I let go of her hand and my companion's hand and opened my eyes. I couldn't believe what just happened. What happened next still haunts me even more than what just had had occurred. As my eyes adjusted to the light, I looked over at the woman, 
maybe out of fear, maybe out of curiosity due to what had just transpired. As I looked over at her, she turned and looked at me. Now, this woman had light blue eyes, but at this moment, her irises were gone. There were just two big black circles staring at me, hollow, piercing, empty black circles, as if they were staring into my soul. A terrible feeling came over me again, as if I was staring into the eyes of a demon. We must not have looked at each other for more than two or three seconds. But again, time seemed to stand still. This feeling of darkness, of being cemented to the position I was in, not being able to move, feeling trapped, all of these emotions just caused me to freeze and panic. Then she blinked once and her blue irises reappeared. They were back. She was back. Back from somewhere else. Whoever or whatever was looking at me for those few seconds was gone. In the literal blink of an eye. My companion and I left. The 20 or 30 foot walk back to our car was in complete silence. The only sound was the crunch of snow... under our boots. The scene lit by dim street lamps lighting the tree-lined lane. We got in our car slowly, closed the doors, and just sat there wondering what had just happened. He and I never really talked about the experience that night. We never went back to that house. As what we had witnessed there gave us an even stronger conviction that beyond our mortal vision lies something more, both good and evil.